Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and during this time, we remember how God's people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And as his people today, we are waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come again. Now, there are many places in the Old Testament of the Bible that spoke of what God's people were looking forward to. And if you have a Bible, we're going to uh, read from that now. So you can turn to Isaiah chapter 25 and follow along. Uh, And uh, Emily is now going to read for us. Isaiah 25. You, Lord, are my God. I will praise you for doing the wonderful things you have planned and promised since ancient times. You have destroyed the fortress of our enemies, leaving their city in ruins. Nothing in that foreign city will ever be rebuilt. Now strong and cruel nations will fear and honour you. You have been a place of safety for the poor and needy in times of trouble. Brutal enemies pounded us like a heavy rain or the heat of the sun at noon. But you were our shelter. Those wild foreigners struck like scorching desert heat. But you were like a cloud, protecting us from the sun. You kept our enemies from singing songs of victory. On this mountain, the Lord All-Powerful will prepare for all nations a feast of the finest foods. Choice wines and the best meats will be served. Here the Lord will strip away the burial clothes that cover the nations. The Lord All-Powerful will destroy the power of death and wipe away all tears. No longer will his people be insulted everywhere. The Lord has spoken. At that time, people will say, the Lord has saved us. Let's celebrate. We waited and hoped. Now our God is here. The powerful arm of the Lord will protect this mountain. The Moabites will be put down and trampled on like straw in a pit of manure. They will struggle to get out, but God will humiliate them, no matter how hard they try. The walls of the fortress will be knocked down and scattered into dirt. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say with Isaiah, Lord, you are our God. We want to exalt and praise your name. You have done wonderful things planned long ago. We thank you that you planned to save us from our sins even before the creation of the world. At this Advent time, we thank you that this plan was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over this year, so many people have seen and experienced the brevity of life and just the futility of the transient things of this world. Father, may Christmas time this year be a time when people look to Jesus Christ and see the one who has swallowed up death forever. And the one who will wipe away the tears from all faces. The one who removes his people's disgrace from all the earth. Oh, what hope we have in the gospel. We specifically want to pray tonight for those in our church family who are suffering with illness. We pray for Carol Whitehouse, Elsie Boynton, Pat Salt, Annette Grimmett, and Jenny Christopher. We think of those who uh, are in care homes. 
Lord, we want to pray for these brothers and sisters. We do pray for healing for the sick. But even more than this, we pray for the greater blessing of knowing in the very depth of their beings the truths that we have just been praying about and reading about, the truths that are the hope that all Christians have. We thank you, our Father, that because we know that Jesus has come and died and rose from the dead, that we can say with joy, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. But Father, in this passage in Isaiah, we also see judgment for those who reject you. And so we pray that at this Christmas time, we will take the opportunity to invite people to the banquet that you have laid out for all peoples. And we pray that they would come. We ask again for our neighbors, for our families. Lord, have mercy. And we ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our next song is an Advent hymn, Come Thy Long Expected Jesus. If you return in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, that's where we're going to be this evening, and it would help uh, to have that open so that you can follow along uh, with what we're saying. Well, one of the saddest 
parts of the restrictions that we are living under has been felt by those who have planned to get married. Uh, a wedding is a, a celebration that is shared with lots of people. But those who have been getting married in recent days have had to limit their guests to 30 or 15 people, depending on uh, what restrictions you are under in your local area. There must be lots of discussions going on between couples about who to uninvite to their wedding. Who makes it onto the list of 15 people? How do you let the people know who are no longer invited? I really enjoy weddings, and I don't think I have ever not attended one that I have been invited to. I even once attended two weddings in two days, one in Plymouth, which was my sister's, and so went on very late into the night, and then the very next day in the morning, one in London. I did whatever I could to get to both of those weddings. And that's how most people, I think, respond to wedding invitations. And if you don't go, you normally have a pretty good excuse for not going. You don't respond to a wedding invitation by saying, I'm having my hair done. Or, I would come, but the ceremony is at the same time as EastEnders. And if you're on the guest list of 15 at the moment, surely you would do whatever it takes to be at that wedding. Well, this evening we're going to consider a wedding invitation that is given to all of us. It is God's wedding invitation. In the Bible, marriage is often used as a picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ relates to his people. And Jesus uses in this parable in Matthew chapter 22, uh, how, uh, he uses a wedding to show how his people are invited into his kingdom. We are in a section of Matthew's gospel where it is the week leading up to the cross. Jesus has come into Jerusalem on the Sunday, riding on a donkey and turning over the tables of the money changers and dove sellers. And as I've said before, as he has done that, he was making a statement that was claiming to be the promised king who would come to save his people from their sins. And a day or two after Sunday, the religious leaders come to Jesus and they challenge those claims. They challenge his authority to say that he is God's promised king. We've seen that challenge uh, back there in Matthew chapter 21, uh, from verses 23 to verse 27. And as Jesus responds to that challenge, he gives three parables to show how the Jewish nation generally, and the religious leaders specifically, have rejected God by their rejection of Jesus. And so we saw the parable of the two sons, where we see that they rejected God's authority. Last week, we saw the parable of the tenants, 
where we saw that they've rejected God's Son. And in this parable, we see how they have rejected God's invitation. And in all three, we see how this rejection of God results in God's rejection of them. And as we apply this today to us, we see that we also are being called to accept God's authority, God's Son, and God's invitation. And it is the rejection of God's wedding invitation that is the main point behind Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. So let's read those verses together. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet, to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wearing clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is God's word. And this parable really is, is broken down into two parts. First of all, we see the invitation is sent out and rejected. And in the second part, we see that the invitation is extended and is in part accepted. And in both parts, we see an invitation, we see a rejection, and we see judgment. So first of all, we see the invitation is rejected. Jesus explains what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now as a reminder, the kingdom of heaven is the place where God rules over a special people who submit to his rule. And this kingdom is likened to a wedding. But not just any wedding, a royal wedding. And a king has prepared a banquet for his son. Now there's a few important things to notice 
with this banquet. Uh, First of all, notice how it's an important occasion. It's an important occasion. It's the marriage of the king's heir. This is his son. Uh, Notice in the parable how the wedding is a lavish occasion. It is a banquet. And the banquet in these days, by the way, would have have begun at breakfast with a wedding breakfast, and then it would have continued on for a whole week of festivities. And then thirdly, notice how the cost of this wedding was borne by the king himself. It was free for everyone else to come because the king bore the cost. It was in verse 2, the king who prepared the banquet. So this would be an occasion where everybody would want to be at. The closest thing we could liken it to is a royal uh, wedding in our country. Next year, in 2021, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge celebrate 10 years of marriage. Uh, Many of you will remember their wedding day in 2011. 1,900 people were invited to that wedding, and 600 people invited to the reception. And the vast majority of those guests accepted the invitation to come. And why wouldn't they? It was a royal wedding. It was a great state occasion. And millions all over the world tuned in to watch that on television. Thousands lined up the streets to watch them, the royal couple, go by. It was a, a, a great occasion that many were invited to, and almost all accepted the invitation. But the wedding invitations at the time of Jesus worked a little differently from today. So what would happen is that the first invitation would be sent out to the people to let them know that this wedding was coming up, and they would accept that invitation But later on, a second invitation went out, which would let the people know that the wedding banquet was ready. And that was what was going on uh, in verse 3. As the servants are sent out, they are sent out to those who are expected to come because they have already said they would come in the first invitation. And so as the servants go out to invite, you would expect everybody to say, oh great, now is the time for the wedding. We'll come and we'll enjoy this feast. But the shock in verse 3 is that the guests, we read, refused to come. The invitation is rejected. And that's shocking because this is a royal wedding to a lavish banquet which was completely free. I mean, one of my favorite parts of going to a wedding is the free food, which almost always is really good food. But here, they refuse to come to this banquet. But in verse 4, the king does not give up on these guests. And he sends his servants out to invite them again. And notice uh, in verse 4, three things that show 
the graciousness of this king. First of all, in verse 4, he compels them to come with the excellence of the meal. He explains here that they are invited to a meal that involves an oxen and the fattened calf. Uh, That's a description of the best food that you can have. Notice how he explains also the urgency. He says, everything's ready. Now is the time to come. And then notice at the, uh, as well how he says again, come to the banquet. It's, it's a, it's, 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 he's persuading them. Come, come to this banquet that I've, I've laid out for you. The, father, uh, the, the king rather wants them to come to this banquet. But in verses 5 and 6, we see the reactions to this invitation. And there are two reactions of verses 5 and 6. There is the reaction of apathy, and there is the reaction of aggression. So first of all, apathy in verse 5. Look what it says there. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Imagine if you are on the guest list of 15 at the moment, or you're invited to the royal wedding, and you just ignore the invitation because, well, you're going to work, or you're doing chores around the house, or some other ridiculous excuse for not responding to a wedding invitation. That's the kind of response we have here. It's a complete insult. The people are busy doing the mundane things of their lives, and they really are mundane compared to the royal wedding banquet, that they pay no attention to an invitation to come to this lavish feast that has been put on for them. It is apathy. And then in verse 6, we see aggression. It says, the rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. That's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, if you're invited to a wedding, it's a privilege, isn't it, to be on the list. The person wants the pleasure of your company. Now, you might want to reject the invitation, but you don't beat up and kill the one who's bringing it to you. It's an outrageous thing to do. So we see, so far, the invitation, and we see the rejection. And before moving on, it's worth asking, what is the point, so what is the point of this? What is the meaning behind what Jesus is saying? Well, the meaning is this, that God the Father is the king in this parable, and Jesus is the Son. And this is being spoken to Jewish religious leaders. And so they are the ones who are being invited. They were invited in the Old Testament by the message that the Messiah is coming. And they were invited again as Jesus arrives as God's king. Uh, The Old Testament, if you like, is like that first invitation going out to say that a wedding is coming. 
And the arrival of Jesus as God's king is like the banquet being ready and the people being told, now is the time to come. But the response of the Jewish people to Jesus and to his servants, the apostles, was just like verses 5 and 6. Some people were apathetic. They didn't pay attention at all. They had more pressing things on their agenda. And there were many people in Israel at the time of Jesus who would have heard and even seen the amazing things that he was doing, but just didn't pay any attention and just got on with their lives doing things that in comparison to what Christ was doing and offering were mundane. But others were aggressive. They hated Jesus. They hated his followers. And they murdered them. So there is an invitation. There is a rejection. And then there is judgment. Look at verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. God is angry at the horrific way that he is treated by these people. He's inviting them to a royal banquet and they are paying no attention or killing his messengers. And so the king judges these murderers. They reject him and so he rejects them. And there is a clear allusion here to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Romans. That was God's judgment on the people of that city for their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although the first seven verses speak specifically to the Jewish people of the time and their religious leaders, there is certainly application there for us, isn't there? We'll see in a moment how that invitation is extended to us. And God offers an invitation to his kingdom. And I think uh, that it is lovely how it's described here as a wedding. It's a, a joyful thing and a privilege to be invited to. And it's a, a wedding where the cost is borne by God himself. Now traditionally in our culture, uh, the wedding is paid for by the bride's parents Something which is a bit scary for me, having two daughters. But here, the cost of the wedding is borne by the king. And in reality, the cost was the life of the son. In order for us to be welcomed into God's kingdom, Jesus died for the sin which bars us from that kingdom. He was judged for us. And because Jesus died, we can be forgiven and we can come to this banquet that he is inviting us to. But our response to the invitation can be very much like verses 5 and 6. I see those responses at two ends of a scale where extreme apathy is at one end and extreme aggression is on the other. Now, there are not many, perhaps, on the extremes of that scale, but all of us have been somewhere on the scale 
where we are rejecting the invitation of God to come into his kingdom. So some of you maybe just can't be bothered. Some of you may be just too busy with your life. And some of you may very well be angry at the claims that Jesus makes. But in the parable, after invitation and rejection comes judgment. And each person who rejects God's invitation, wherever they are on that scale, faces that judgment from God that is coming. But back to the parable. The invitation is rejected by the first group, but there is oxen and fattened calf going. And so the king who wants his son to be honored and wants his food to be shared extends the invitation. The king told his servants in verse 8 that the, the first lot he invited did not deserve to come. This doesn't mean that they weren't good enough, but means that because they rejected the invitation, they didn't deserve to be there. And so he sends his servants to the street corners to invite people. Uh, the street corners were the, the places where the poor and less respectable members of society would have been located. But the point here is that the servants were to be indiscriminate in who they invited. Notice how it says that they were to invite anyone you find. It doesn't matter who they were, they were invited. And there wasn't a limit of 15 or 30. The invitation was to be to anyone they could find. And so the invitation goes out to many, many people. So like in the first half of the parable, we see again an invitation. And in verse 10, the servants obey the king and they invite anyone they could find. They gathered the bad and the good. Now that, that, that means that they gathered people who were seen by society as bad and good. We might say they invited criminals and they invited the upstanding members of the society uh, that they were in. Uh, and, and these people, they, they probably couldn't believe that they were invited. I mean, if, if I had received an invitation in 2011 from the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, I'd be thinking, what on earth is this doing here? How on earth have I been invited to this wedding? But nevertheless, they were invited. They were allowed to come to this royal banquet. And so they accepted, many accepted. So many, in fact, that we read in uh, verse 10, at the end of that verse, that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now again, as we did before, it's worth pausing here at this point to note the meaning behind this section. You see, the invitation to the kingdom of God goes beyond the borders of Israel. And the invitation is for anyone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done. There is an invitation for you to the kingdom of God. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? It's wonderful that we can come into God's kingdom, into his, his banquet. 
And we've seen this throughout history as the gospel, the good news about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has gone out throughout all the world. And people from all kinds of backgrounds have become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The banquet hall being filled with guests reminds me of a wonderful passage in Revelation chapter 7 where we read that before Jesus worshipping him, there is a crowd from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They're all together worshipping Jesus Christ. And that's, that's wonderful imagery of wonderful truth. In Revelation, it picks up on this image here of this, this banqueting hall being filled with guests. And we are invited to come into his kingdom. But in verse 11, the parable takes a strange turn. After the invitation, we come again to the rejection. But the rejection in verse, uh, verse 11 is a little bit different to last time. So the king comes to the hall uh, to see his guests, to enjoy their company. And we read, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, when we go to a wedding, unless uh, we, we dress for the occasion, unless you are instructed otherwise, you wouldn't turn up to the wedding in your football gear or your painting overalls. To not wear the appropriate attire is an insult to the bride and groom who have invited you. And in this context, the king probably provided the clothes for the wedding guests to wear, in which case this man just refused to put them on. He doesn't want to conform to the standards of the host. And this is another kind of rejection of the king. He's saying, well, I'm going to attend the wedding my own way. And so in verse 12, the king asks the man how he got in without the wedding clothes. Now, this isn't an investigation into the security arrangements of the wedding, but rather a question along the lines of, what on earth do you think you're playing at? How dare you think that you can be at the wedding when you're dressed like that? And the man knows that he's guilty because we read there that he was speechless. There is nothing he can say as he stands before the king. He knows what he's supposed to be wearing. Everyone around him is wearing the right clothes. He knows that he is guilty. Well, what does this represent here? Here is a man who responded positively to the invitation, but was not willing to conform to the obligations that came with being at the wedding. Putting on clothes is used in the Bible as a way of describing the Christian life. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 25, for example, we read this. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then Paul goes on to describe other items of clothing in that passage, in addition to putting off falsehood and putting on truthfulness. Uh, other items of clothing to, to put off and to put on. And the man in the parable wanted the benefits of the wedding, but did not want to follow the instructions of the king. You see, being a Christian is not just accepting the invitation. It is wearing the clothes as well. And there is lots of diversity in the church of Jesus Christ in terms of nationality, abilities, temperaments, political views, and so on and so forth. But there is also much that we need to conform to and to be in one mind of. We are saved, Romans chapter 8 tells us, so that we will be conformed into the image of God's Son. So many of us uh, don't like conforming to things. We like to blaze our own trail and rebel against authority. But actually, as Christians, we are to be conformists in the way that we conform into the image of his Son. And so we follow the instruction of the King by following his word. And if you're claiming to be a Christian, and there are areas of your life where you're thinking, well, unlike other Christians, uh, I'm going to do things totally differently. You're wanting to wear your own clothes. There is a challenge here. There is a challenge to say that you need to question. If you're not conforming to the, the king's way, whether really you are part of his kingdom at all. Another thing here to notice is that this man was at the wedding, but he wasn't part of the kingdom. Being in church with God's people doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car. It's about submission to the way of the king. Any other way is a rejection of the invitation just by another means. And so I ask you, are you submitting to the norms of the kingdom in your life? Or are there aspects of the Bible that you're just not wanting to obey? And this is a serious question because in verse 13 we come after an invitation and a rejection again to the judgment. And it's a sobering verse. Look at verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of Jesus's frequent descriptions of hell. It is away from the people of God 
outside the presence of God and God's light, and so it's darkness, and it is a place of anguish, which is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can reject the king in any number of ways. There is apathy, there is aggression, and there is even acceptance here of the invitation. But the rejection of the invitation and the acceptance but really rejecting that we see with the man not wearing the clothes means that you will face God's judgment. If you reject God, God will reject you. And so I plead with you tonight to accept God's invitation to his kingdom. Confess to him that you are a sinner and believe that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sin and follow Jesus Christ as your king. If you want to find out more about this, then I encourage you to get in touch with us and we would love to share you, with you more about this wonderful banquet that God is inviting you to. Well, Jesus summarizes in verse 14 for us. He says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Many people are invited to come into God's kingdom. The invitation, it goes out all over the world. But the few that are chosen are the ones who accept the invitation and continue living the way of the king. I also think that there is an important aside here for us as Christians, especially in the lead up to Christmas. We are the servants of the king who are to go out and invite anybody we can find to the kingdom. And so let me encourage you to do that this year. We have our carol services coming up. I encourage you, invite people to come. At the carol services, we will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those carols, we will hear again through those words, the invitation to this wonderful banquet that God has laid out for us. I think it's lovely that, that the kingdom is described in that way, a joyous wedding banquet. And it is a privilege for us to be invited to it. When we get a wedding invitation, we are asked to RSVP. And as I close, I would ask you, what is your response to God's wedding invitation? We are those to whom the invitation has been extended to. And it is a privilege to be sat at the banqueting table with Jesus. As we close, our final song speaks of that. It's the mystery of the cross.
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. The banquet is ready. Let us enjoy the feast. Amen. Distance. 